And so, you know, it's possible to miss Christmas. And people say, how in the world is it, is it possible to miss Christmas? The signs are everywhere. You can't go anywhere and not miss Christmas. Well, it's not possible to maybe miss the day of Christmas, but it's definitely possible to miss the meaning of Christmas. And so that's what I want to talk to you tonight about. Christmas is buried in the middle of distractions Buried in the middle of traditions, most of our traditions have little to nothing do, to do with Jesus or little to nothing to do with the meaning for Christmas. Now, while those traditions may not necessarily be bad, sometimes what they do is the noise of those things and the busyness of those things drowns out the real meaning for Christmas. We're lost in a culture of frosty, Santa, uh, I'd just say, you know, challenged individuals, men, with, men in red suits, uh, the Grinch menorahs, Christmas trees, cultural distractions from, uh, that blind us from truths that are right in our face. And so the question is, is what's the meaning of Christmas? Is it, is it just a, a sort of a, a day of commerce? Is it, just, is it all about economics? Is it, about, is it just about family? Is it about dinners? I mean, what, what, is it a celebration of winter? I mean, what, what exactly is Christmas? Christmas is about Jesus. Yes. Isaiah 9, 6, unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Jesus came for us, and to us he is a child that is born, but from heaven's perspective he's a son that is given. And this word, this idea of the son of God coming on our behalf, he's not someone who has not been God the entire time. Jesus has always been God. The word son is our best Form of, and the best way to translate a word that they have no understanding of other than the fact that it means one of a kind. And so when it says begotten son, when the Bible talks about begotten son, the name for Jesus, the translation or the Greek word is monogonosh, and I love that word. I say it a lot. And it means the one and only or the one of a kind. There's no one like him, nor has there any been, any, been anyone before him. And so the idea of a son that is given in the Old Testament is a son was given as a representation. The son was the representation of the father. That's how the Old Testament worked. That's how the, old, the ancient culture worked, was that the son represented his father. When the son became of age, he could transact business in his father's name. And so the father and the son were seen as one, or one, and the son was viewed as someone who was sent forth in the father's name. And this is who Jesus is. He is the one who was sent forth in the father's name. And he was given for us. And the Bible says, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. I don't know if you know that. Right? He's a counselor. You need counsel? He's a wonderful counselor. There's no one who gives you counsel quite like Jesus. He's a mighty God. This means you're not alone. If God before you, what? Try it. He's an everlasting father, and he is the prince of peace. The increase of his government, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it and with judgment and justice from this time forward and forever. It is an eternal thing that Jesus has done. And it says the passion or the earnest or the depth of desire of the Lord will accomplish it. He did it because he wanted to. He's passionate for you. He loves you. The idea of compassion means to suffer with or to suffer for. Jesus has compassion for you. Say, why does he do? I, I have no idea why, Right? But he has compassion for us. He is willing, he has a passion for us, and he has compassion on us. He desires us, and he's willing to suffer on our behalf. He's willing to suffer loss in order that you may suffer gain. There's no one like it. That's actually the meaning of love. It's possible to miss the gift of Christmas, even when it's right in front of you. Did you know that? It is possible. 
And we're going to look at a couple of characters in the Bible. We're going to look at a couple of different people in the scripture. And we're going to show you that even though Jesus was right in front of them, they completely missed it. Luke chapter 2, it says, It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. Caesar Augustus, real brief, coming into power, and he wants to know the extent of his kingdom. So what does he do? He He opens up a census. He's now the one, Caesar Augustus is now taking the throne, and he is now the one in charge of the Roman Empire, and he wants to know the extent of his empire, so he orders a census. And the the Roman census required everyone to go back to the town of their birth, and they were to be counted. The real reason was not just to know the extent of his empire, but he wanted to know how much taxes he could raise. (laughs) That's the real reason that he wanted to do it, so he orders a census. Caesar Augustus, that the world should be registered. And this this census took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria. And so all went to be registered, and everyone went to their own city. And Joseph went up from Galilee to the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. And he went to be registered with his wife, Mary. Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, not his physical or biological father, was from the town of, David, or town of Bethlehem. So he had to take his family back to Bethlehem. This actually fulfilled a, prophet, a prophetic word. And he went there to be registered with his, with his wife, Mary, to whom he was engaged, and she was with child. And so it was that while they were there in the days to be clean, completed for her to get, bring forth the baby that she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. First guy that's going to miss Christmas is the innkeeper. He missed it, right? Why Why did the innkeeper miss it? The innkeeper misses Christmas, and same reason why a lot of people, even in American culture and in the world today, miss it, because business is booming, and they're ignorant, and they're preoccupied, occupied with all of the cares of this life and they're so busy there's too many other things there's too many personal distractions they got to make money they got to do business they got to get that contract all these different things and Jesus is right at his doorstep and he completely misses it people that miss Jesus awaken in an eternity without God and that is not a healthy place to be and so he's lost this innkeeper has Jesus at his doorstep he never inquired, he never even, he never even they're, they're, the Bible doesn't even give us any indication that he nor anyone in the inn or in the town ever helped Mary bring forth the baby. The Bible says she brought forth her own son, which is interesting. Mary gave birth to her, to her own, to Mary gave birth, you know, and it's just a whole other story. She, she brought the baby forth alone. You imagine that, ladies, right? <laughs> you know, the women are like, no. She was about 16 years old. This is an important thing to understand. Jesus came as us. Jesus came to identify with every part of our brokenness and every part of our lostness. He understands what it means to be called illegitimate or to be born in an illegitimate home. Even though he wasn't illegitimate, he was legitimate. He understands what it means. He understands he was the child of a teenage mother. He understands all of that. He understands what it means to be born without a home. He understands what it means to live without a home. The Bible says that Mary brought forth her firstborn child. She brought forth Jesus, and it says she swaddled him. So what does it mean when she swaddles him? It's like when you take that baby and you wrap him up, wrap him up like a football, right? You know what I'm talking about? And you just coos them all down. You put them in a little swaddle cloth where their hands are there, and they're just all like this. They've swaddled babies from the most ancient of times, which I always thought was really interesting. I always just like when the baby's all swaddled, walk around like that, you know? 
like a loaf of bread. You know, here, here, honey. You know, throw strong across the room. Pastor, that's child abuse. <laughs> I remember my daughter. She was this big when I brought her home. I literally held her from here to here. Right? She was the, the length of my forearm. And there's a picture, and I'm holding her, and she's like literally, you know, from foot to head. Amazing what God does. Matthew chapter 2, so we're going to talk about some other people who missed, who missed Christmas. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, say it with me, in the days of Herod, days of Herod. Behold, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. And when Herod heard this, he freaked out and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered together all of the chief priests and the scribes and the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And the priest said to him, where's he to be born? Right? He said, they said, in Bethlehem of Judea was prophesied that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. He could be born no other place. And so God uses human government to redirect all of, all of life in order that the Messiah could be born, where he said the Messiah was going to be born. And you don't think he can solve your problems? You don't think he can turn things around? You don't think he can make things work in your favor? You don't think he's going to back up what he said to you? Who told you that? It says, and so Herod's freaked out. The whole city's freaked out. And when he had gathered the chief priests, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, as it is written by the prophet Micah, you, Bethlehem of Judea, you are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come the ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They knew where the Messiah was to be born. And then Herod secretly called the wise men. Hey, guys, gather around. He kind of brings them over to himself. And he determines what time. When did you see this star? How long ago was this? And they sent him to Bethlehem. And they said, look, go find this child. And when you find this child, bring him back to me so that I, too, may worship him. Herod had no intention of worshiping him. So you have an entourage. It wasn't three wise men showing up on camels here. This was an entire entourage. These guys were Zoroasters. They were, formed, they were uh, from an ancient cult. They were mystics from, from old. They worshipped fire and they worshipped stars. And they found him through the stars. And there's a lot of story and a lot of connection there. And there's a lot of overlay as to how they were able to do that. And they were kingmakers. These are the ones who anointed the Persian kings. These are the ones who anointed the Babylonian kings. They were throughout the, the ancient empire, the whole Mesopotamian region, going all the way back to the most ancient cultures of the Sumerians. You find these guys, the Zoroasters. They were magi, and they were, they were known as kingmakers. And so the kingmakers say, where's the king? We've come to worship the one true king that we've heard of. And so they come. These guys traveled months, months and miles. Say it with me. They traveled at their own expense. Understand that? It costs them something. Worship costs you. You're here tonight, and you're giving something. You're giving honor to the Lord. It costs you time. It costs you your preparation. You've had to set things aside. It could things aside. And what that is, is an act of worship. Say it with me. There's always pain in the offering. David said, I will make no offering to God that costs me nothing. We think everything doesn't cost us anything. That's not true worship, Christian. It's got to cost you something. Yeah? And it's, you're, you're, you're giving it tonight, and it's an act of honor. You're here. You're, the people that are watching my stream, you're giving your time. It's costing you something. You do anything you want to do. You choose to honor the Lord. That's always the best response. These guys came from afar. They took, out, they took their own money, their own resources, and they said, it doesn't matter. None of this matters. The honor of the king is what matters. And they went and they traveled, and they show up. 
took, yeah, it took two years. It was a long journey. They had to travel through, they had to travel through the desert. They had to do a whole bunch of stuff. And this caravan shows up. Herod is disturbed. This is the next guy who misses Christmas. This is Herod, right? Herod, what was Herod? Herod was an illegitimate king. He was not even the, he was not the legitimate king of Israel. The legitimate king of Israel had to be a direct line of David. Herod wasn't even a Jew. He was an Edomite. Herod was the king of, 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 the, he was the king of Jerusalem or the king of Israel because the Romans made him the king of Israel. He wasn't legitimate. He was a fake. He was a phony, and he knew it. That's why people don't get too close to Jesus, because they feel like if they get too close to Jesus, they're going to be found out. And it's true. It is going to, you are going to be found out. But in, being, but in losing your life, you find it. And being understanding that you, you, you don't have what it takes, you understand that you need Christ. This is the whole idea. Herod was afraid to be found out. So, so what did Herod do? He tried to kill Jesus. He tried to destroy Jesus. And this is what people often do, is they're afraid to give up the throne of their lives. This is why he missed, up Je- this is why he missed Jesus. We live in a culture and in a world today and people that hear the message and all these different things and they're afraid to give up the throne of their lives. They're too concerned about what they have to give up. Yeah? Like they don't come to Christ because they're concerned that they, they have to give, there's something that they have to give up or they, they have to become a person that they don't really want to be. They're, de- they're under some kind of a deception. And so what happens is, is they try to kill Jesus out of every corner of their lives, like Herod. Or they try to alter him into a type of person that they can accept. This again happens. They try to alter him. It's one of the things that ended up happening is they were trying to, in this culture at this time, they kept trying to alter Jesus. He's just the prophet. He's just this. He's just that. They tried to change him into a version that he was not. We have it going on today. We take the teeth out of the lion. That's what we do. We declaw him. Oh, he's just nice and he's safe. He's anything but safe. Jesus is powerful and he's a king. And he's Lord. Yes, that it's true. They try to turn him into something that they can palate. They alter him into a version they can accept. Or they try to kill him through denial. People don't want to give up the throne of their lives. This is true. This is, this is the challenge. The Bible says, if you lose your life for my sake. Truth is, you do have to give up your life. This is true. But in Christ, you find it. And you give up your life for his sake. You become what you were actually born to become. You know, you don't become some version of, you know, this religious individual. You become what God does is he maximizes what you were created to be. He draws you unto himself. He frees you from the bondages and the fear and the sin and all of the things that are negative in your life. And he calls you unto himself that you may know him. This is the beginning of the gospel. And that, that the Lord calls you that you may know him and that through knowing him, you may know yourself. And when you know him and you begin to understand how he has made you and who you are, then you become who you truly are. We've done a very bad job of representing this. We create, we create this sort of Wheaties box mentalities of what Christians actually are. We're anything but. We're a collection of individuals who have a common system of belief. We're unique. We're a tapestry. We're a bunch of colored threads woven together to make a beautiful picture unique. Are we the same in a lot of ways? Absolutely. But we don't, we don't give up our individuality. And if you know that, if you look anything about the disciples, none of them gave up their individuality, but they had a comp, they were comp, they were united. But Peter was Peter. John was John, right? James was James. Thomas was Thomas. He didn't tell them all to become like one type of person. We have a unimind, but that unimind is united in Christ, not unto, we don't lose that part of ourselves. So this is, the sec- this is the second guy who missed Jesus, who missed Christmas. The third group in this passage is there too. 
the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the religious leaders. So one of my favorite aspects of this story is these religious leaders wake up in the morning. Herod goes and gets them out of bed. They're kind of coming out there half-dressed in their PJs. And they're like, where's the one who's been born king? And they quote an ancient prophetic word. And they give the information and they go right back to bed. Are you kidding me? The thing that you've been taught your whole life, the yearning that you've been called for your whole life, the light of the Gentiles, the glory of Israel, they're claiming to be born and you don't even have the, you don't even have the, the desire to go and find this out. These, fair, these magi traveled months, if not years, and these guys wouldn't travel six miles. Six, Bethlehem was six miles from Jerusalem and they wouldn't go six miles. Wouldn't go six miles. Why? Because they had all the facts. They were self-justified. They were indifferent. They didn't care. They had all the knowledge, they'd heard it, yep, all that stuff, but it didn't matter them at all. They saw no reason why they needed to be saved. They were self-justified. I've been a Christian all my life, bless God. What makes you a Christian? I go to church. That doesn't make you a Christian. You must be born again. This new one said, well, I believe. Well, where do you believe? You don't want to ask me these questions because I'm going to ask you the legitimate questions. My nephew said to me, Uncle Kevin, I gave, my life to G- I gave my life to God. You know what my question was to him? Which God? That was my question to him. Which God? And he's like looking at me like, what? He's like, Jesus. I'm like, Jesus God? He's like, Jesus is God. I'm like, good man, Noah, high five. All right, now we're on the same page. It's not, it's not some generic God. It's the living God. It's the one true God. His name is Jesus. God's name is Jesus. They were self-justified. They felt like they, you know, when people say, I believe... Conversion is not intellectual assent. It is a heart surrendered. Until the heart becomes surrendered, conversion doesn't happen. Belief is not intellectual. It's spiritual. It's of the heart. We believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, not our mind. It makes no sense to your mind. They were, these guys were self-justified. They saw no reason. These are the people who honor themselves and they honor others at the expense of Jesus. I'm going to say this with me. The Bible says... That in all things, Jesus is to have the preeminence. If you follow Jesus, Christian, so I'm going to talk to the Christians just here for a moment. Just want to challenge you, want to encourage you. Christ must not, must have first and foremost place in every sphere of your life. Yeah? We cannot self-justify. The worship and honor of God must precede everything else. In everything, he has the preeminence. I have a rule, when in doubt, honor the Lord. When in doubt, honor the Lord. He is worthy of everything. These people, these are the people that honor themselves. You know, they're self-justified. They honor other people, but they do so at the expense of God. They do it their way, right? They do it their way. There's a lot of Christians that miss out on the kingdom and the benefits of the kingdom because they do it their way. There's a lot of people in this world that will miss out on eternity because they do it their way. The fourth group of people that missed out on, on, uh, on Christmas was the people of Nazareth. Luke chapter 2. And so after they had performed these things, according to the word of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. Jesus grew there and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. And everybody say it with me. The grace of God was upon him. He grew up in an atmosphere where the grace of God was on, was, was on him. These are people that grow up around the gospel. Christians who grow up or people that grow up in Christian homes. They're exposed to the gospel. 
their whole life. They see it. They see the grace on their mother. They see the grace on their father. They see the grace on, on their family. They even see the grace on their own lives, but they never really commit to it. Jesus grew up around them, yet they treated him as common. He would come home later in life and they would try to kill him. He would go back to, to Nazareth and he would read the scroll and he would declare who he truly was in front of them and they wanted to kill him. Grace is common. We try to drive and kill away the influence of grace and, and because we were raised around it. We were raised around it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I know a lot of people that are raised around it. You know, and I think one of the biggest struggles, especially with Christian parents, is that probably the largest percentage is, is that they don't adapt their faith immediately. That's a statistic. Probably less than 20% of believing Christians or believing children actually adapt themselves into their faith before they leave home. Most don't. Do you know what, teach, you know what makes them adapt their faith? Life. Life has a one life is the best teacher. Life will teach you you're not smart enough. Life will teach you you're not strong enough. Life will teach you. That's why the Bible says train them up. And when they're older, they will, that's right, they start to draw from because they're all, everybody's looking for something. Life, life leaves you without anchor points. Life is a wind that blows you all over the place and will consume everything about you. And this oftentimes happens, but what you need to be faith, what you need to be understanding, most believing parents, and if you're a believing parent, you're watching, and your kid isn't where they want to be, trust the Lord. Nobody knows how to reconcile children quite like Jesus. He knows how to deal with sort of riotous kids. He knows how to deal with sort of kids that don't want to kind of walk the walk. One thing that the Lord has taught me, and I would advise a lot, anyone that has adult children that are Christians and maybe that child isn't going the way you want them to go, let the Lord parent them. What parenting is designed to do, and this is a lesson the Lord taught me, I am designed to train my child to a certain point. And, my, and in my training of my children, I am to point them to Jesus. I'm to invest everything that I have into Jesus. But at some point, the influence that I hold over my children diminishes. Are there any parents here of adult children? Right. Your influence over them when they're, when they're 10, 12 years old is far greater than it's going to be when they're 18, 22, 23, 24. Your influence over them is going to go down. And you're going to see that you're almost an outsider looking into their lives. That's not necessarily a bad thing. What, you're, what you need to do is give them over to the Lord and let the Lord parent them. Jesus is a far better parent than you. That child is given to you as a stewardship. You are to steward that child to a season, and then you're to ultimately turn them over to the Lord. Jesus is the one who's parenting you, parent. He's your father. He's the one who's still involved in your life. And it doesn't mean that you don't have a role to play, but you can't take them further than that. And you can try, but you're going to see yourself constantly pushed to the margins, constantly pushed to the margins. Just a challenge. I hope that gives hope to somebody here tonight. <laughs> God can do what you can't. Don't be discouraged. God can do what you can. He can turn it all around. He can turn it all around. And he wants to. And you got to just, I give, I give him authority. I'm like, I, can, I don't know what I'm doing here, Holy Spirit, but you do. I yield them to you as you can parent them. And the way that happened in my life is I would be praying for my kids and I would be asking the Lord for them. And he would simply tell me, tell me, let me parent them for a while, Kevin. I was like, what? Aren't you parenting them now? Not so long as you're standing in the way. As long as you're standing in the way, I can't parent them. 
because your authority is designated. And so I take the designated authority that the Lord has given me as a parent and I give it unto him and I trust him because the Lord loves my children more than I love my children. The Lord wants the best for my children more than I want the best for my children. The Lord can do what I cannot do more than my, I can. So these are people that are raised around common grace. This is something that happens um, often. And so, uh, you know, a lot of times this, this, we, we, don't, we get discouraged because we did our best to raise our children and our children go away and our children do the wrong thing. And some of you are products of that. And you realize what brought you back to faith or what even made you recognize something outside of yourself. So the people that missed it were the fourth people, group of people that missed it was the people of Nazareth. The fifth group of people that missed it, the whole culture. The whole culture missed it. Every single thing Jesus did, he did in the midst of the Roman culture. Said it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. And this took place during the, during the, when Curanus was governor of Syria. Every aspect of Jesus' ministry took place under Roman rule. He was right there in front of him. Everything he did, and they, they missed it. They completely couldn't connect it. John 1.10 says he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. The whole culture missed him. What happens is, is that the culture, people choose the culture over the kingdom. This happens all the time, right? It's all around us. There are people in the United States, and in particular Western Europe, that will stand before God, and we will all stand before God. Make no mistake. There, this isn't, what Jesus says is true. We can deny what God says all we want to, but in the end, you have no control over the way this goes down. You have no control over the time of your death and you have no control over your eternity outside of Jesus. These are facts. And these people grew up in a place where Christ was right in front of him. We have Americans that grow up in a society with churches on the corner, with churches on the radio, with churches on the television, with churches on the internet, and the gospel bombards them by day and by night. By day and by night. And everything that the Lord is doing is right in the midst of them, and they keep right on going their way, right on going their way. This is the message of Christmas, Christian. It's about a child born to set the world free. It's not about a baby in a manger. It's about a baby that was born to become a man who would be brutally murdered, crucified, give his life away, die, resurrected, and ascend for you. That's the story of the gospel. That's the story of the truth. Man's lost, man's separated. Man needs Jesus. Man needs Jesus. And so my challenge to those even here tonight is like, don't grow up in a culture, right? Say, what about the people in the bush? What about you right here in the United States of America in 2022? What about you? What about you? Don't be worried about the people in the bush that you say don't know Jesus or have never heard the message. The question is, is what about you who've heard the message? What will you do with it? What will you do with it? That's the question. That's the question. In America today, this is again a challenge for the American church and the American Christian. We reduce him. We ignore him. We run from him. And we seek to erase him from every sphere of life, just like the people in the, in the early church and, the, and when Jesus was born. They ran from him. They sought to kill him, sought to erase him, get rid of him, ignore him, reduce him, change him, whatever. What happened in this culture, and this is the challenge to tonight, for you tonight, whether you're a believer, but especially if you're not a believer, Jesus cannot be an unnecessary inconvenience. 
That's what he was to these people. He was an unnecessary inconvenience. He was just someone that demanded too much from their lives, someone that interrupted their lives, someone that wanted something from them that they never wanted to give. Jesus doesn't want anything from you. He wants everything for you. And when you get that and when you give yourself to him, you really have nothing to offer him. If you want the truth, (laughs) what do you really have to offer a king? Anybody? You have nothing to offer a king. He's the king of glory who spins planets on his hands. He has fire in his eyes and a sword from his mouth. And when he speaks, water flows. It's like the voice of many waters. And when he looks, the planets run away. This is how powerful he is. And what do you have to offer him? What could you possibly want from you that's so significant? He wants nothing from you. He wants everything for you. His desire is that you would come to him because he loves you. And he cares about you. And no one cares about you more than Jesus. He's for you on your worst day. He's for you when everyone else is against you. But his greatest desire and what what constitutes salvation is when you surrender your heart to him. Not standing off. It's a modern American culture. I see it all the time. All the time. It is not the gospel of the kingdom. We talk about Jesus like he's an accessory. Let's just say it together because I know where you all come from. Say it. Jesus isn't an accessory. He is everything. He's not an accessory. He's all things. He's everything. My, my challenge to you tonight, we're going to close right here. If you're a Christian, say it with me. It's time to up my game. It's a new year. Every year, same challenge. Up your game. Up your game. You can totally transform your life within five years or less. Totally transform. I don't care where you are. I don't care what level of debt you're in or how deep your brokenness is. Five years, within five years of dedicated application and truth, you can transform your whole life. It's a fact. It's a fact. So if you heard me say that to you last year, let me say it to you again. What did you do with it last year? Did you up your game? Did you do anything with that challenge? This is the deal. This kingdom will transform you. This kingdom will renew you. This kingdom will enable you. This kingdom will open all things up to you. You will become who God has called you to become. Destiny is real. Destiny is fulfilling. Destiny is alive. I didn't say it was easy. I didn't say it was always happy. I didn't say it was always shiny, happy people. Just had a guy tell me, he's like, I just don't feel like every day is like, like, I'm like, dude, I'm like, every day is not, like, I don't wake up in the morning on fire. You know what I'm saying? You know? I, I, I got I to get into the spirit and then I connect to the power of God. I'm not, every day I'm not walking around like, just like, woo, Jesus, you know? I open my eyes and I got to roll out of bed and I got to grind it out just like everyone else. But I go find the Lord and he's always waiting for me. He's always waiting for me every single time. And he's waiting for you. Right? He's not going to do for you what you will not do for you. He's not going to care more than you do. People go crazy when I'm done. I'm like, prove it to me. Prove it to me that Jesus will, will, will care more than you. He will not. He will meet you at that point. When it matters to you, it matters to him. It's all through the scripture. If it didn't matter to the person, it didn't matter to the Lord. He kept right on going. We think that Jesus is going to do for something for us that we, we, he, he's not. Salvation is for everyone. Let's just put it in this simple frame. Salvation is for all. But until it matters to the person to surrender their heart, then and only then does salvation become alive. Jesus isn't going to save you without you surrendering. It doesn't work like that. It just doesn't. And that's the same way even if you're a follower of Christ and you're in Jesus. It only happens when it matters to you. 
when it matters to you, when it matters enough for you to take the steps and to be willing to change and to make and get rid of all of the other things and that no longer see the Lord or the kingdom as an inconvenience, things will change. But so long as all of this stuff is an inconvenience to you, Christian, so long as showing up on Sunday is an inconvenience to you, so long as all the things that pertain to this kingdom is an inconvenience to you and you got other things to do and you got other people to deal with and you got all this other stuff, nothing's going to change. Nothing. You can be saved and born again and nothing's going to change and it's all wishful thinking. I, it, there's a way that this stuff works. There's a way, and we have to work within the ways that God has determined, not the ways that we determined. This is important. If you're a Christian, up your game, right? Simple things. Commit to church this year. You're God Almighty, right? Can you be here 70% of the time? How hard is that? On time, right? Come on. Can you come with an expectation? You say, I come every week, pastor. Then you know what your game is? Come expecting. Come expecting. Say to yourself, when I get in the car, even if I don't want to go, I know God's got something for me today, and he's going to impact me in some meaningful way, and he's going to bring change into my life. Right? Even if I have nothing to give, I'm going to give him what I have. I may not be much, but I can lift my hands. It may not be much. Whatever you have, that's your game. Some of you, it's too inconvenient for you, you know? You come when you want to. The wind's blowing, you know? Well, let me see, you know? You wouldn't have a job if you did that. If you treated your employer like that, you wouldn't have a job. And he's asked, they're asked for five days a week. Come on. This is why we're not changed. It's because we, can, we don't put ourselves in a position to hear and in a life-giving environment. The environment itself will change you. I could say more. Well, Todd will say this. We were doing healing in, um, on fire starters, and we were praying. And this girl got healed just because I was talking. This woman was healed. She was just standing here. And she had gotten in the line. We were praying over I had everybody praying over everybody, and she got healed. When he got to her, she said, I feel like it's gone. She said, as soon as you started talking, she said, I felt every, something change in my body. And she said the, the, the pain in her back was completely gone. I don't know if anybody was here that day. We had a bunch of people. But it happened. So there's power even in the environment. Do you understand that? There's transformative power even within the environment. There's a living word that changes you and challenges you and upgrades you. Commit. Grow your faith by living it. Take inventory of your life. You know the number one cause of change is awareness? Awareness. You will not change until you become aware. Adam, where are you? Did Jesus not know where Adam was? Jesus knew exactly where Adam was. He wanted Adam to understand where Adam was. Are you aware of where you're at, Adam? Are you aware of where I am? And are you aware of where you're at? Take inventory of your life. Where are you? Where are you? Just a thought. The bridge from where you are to where you want to be is called change. Not willing to change? Stay as you are. You're loved, going to heaven, born again, saved, all that other stuff. God wants to change you. Do you want to change? 2023, come on, breakout year. You want something different? Or do you want the same old, same old? Huh? Where are you? You guys are quiet. <laughs> like, this Christmas Eve, man, I just want to get you up. <laughs> Let me give you a gift. You can change. It doesn't have to be the same. It can be new. It can be brand new. His mercies, his grace, moving in love are new every morning. He's got something new for you every day. He's a God of season. He's going to change your season. Everything about you. You say it's been winter. Guess what? Spring is here. Happy day. But if you're going to sit there and cry in wintertime, then you're going to stay there. 
I got what I want to go for, but I'm not going to stay here. Come back here. Get, say it with me. Remove the excuses. This is for the believer. Get rid of the excuses. What's your excuse? Really, seriously, what's your excuse? What is your excuse? What could you possibly have in your life that is more important than Jesus, his honor, his worship, and his kingdom? What could you possibly be doing and what could possibly matter to you if you're a Christian than that? No, really. What's more important than that? What do you got to do? Huh? Well, I was going to go drive my new car on Sunday morning and, you know, I was just going to, you know, I mean, I mean, really? Like, what's more important to you than that? You have to up your game. And if you get, and you have to be, you have to be your biggest challenger. Where there's no challenge, there is no change. You have to challenge yourself to become the person that God has called you to be. And if you don't challenge you, you'll never get in there. Yeah. Yeah. You have to challenge you. What's your excuse, Kevin? What could you possibly have going on today that keeps you from honoring God? You don't feel like it? That's your excuse, Kevin? You want to sleep? Sleep when you're dead. Go honor the Lord. No, I'm serious. You have to be that person. If you're not, no one is going to help you. If, you're, if you want to suck your thumb and make excuses, you're going to stay there and you're going to watch decades of your life erode right in front of you. You have to choose to honor the Lord in everything. And I'm going to tell you, your life will turn around. Even the most crushing difficulties, the most suffocating difficulties will turn around if you will continue to honor the Lord. But you can't kind of do it half-hearted in one time out the other, in one time out the other. Well, I tried it for a couple of weeks. It didn't work. <laughs> That's your problem. That's the problem. Up your game. If you've never given your life to Jesus, today's your day. There's no greater honor you could pay the Lord than to accept the gift that he's offering you tonight. This Christmas season is about a gift that is being offered to all of mankind. It is the most expensive. It is the most lavish. It is the most extravagant gift ever given in the history of the world. It is a gift that has transforming power, not just within the person, but into every sphere of life. There is no gift like this. No gift. And the gift is a person. And the gift is life. And the gift is life. And his name is Jesus. And if you don't know him, you are lost without him. You are hopeless. You are helpless. And you cannot be saved without him. The Bible uses a verse that says, The harvest is past and we are not saved. There's a time of harvest that's going on all over the world. God is harvesting people to himself. He's giving man an opportunity to come back to him. That time will not always be there. That time of the harvest, that God doesn't promise that this harvest is going to endure. He gives man an opportunity to come, but that time is going to close. This chapter of time, this epoch, right? This dispensation of time will close. And there will be people that say the harvest is past and we're not saved. You don't want to be that person. The Bible says this in Corinthians in the acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have called you. And he says, behold, now is the day of salvation. The day of salvation isn't next week. The day of salvation isn't last year. The day of salvation is right now. God never promises you another opportunity. When the gospel is being presented and you've never received it, this is your time. This is your time. How do you do it? The Bible says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Say, okay, I'm at the point of belief. What do I say? I'm going to help you. 
I love it. It's going to help you if you're here tonight. You don't know if you're born again. You don't know if you're saved. You don't have any idea what I'm talking about. You think you did. Well, Grandma brought me to church a few times. Does that mean I'm a Christian? It does not. You, every person has to own it for themselves. It must become yours. You have to believe in your own heart, and you have to ask him to come in. So we're going to pray. We're going to close this night. We're going to sing a beautiful song. We're going to have a little candlelight moment. And we're going to have a beautiful Merry Christmas. But the greatest Christmas gift you can receive and the greatest honor you can pay the Lord is by giving your life to him. So we're going to pray. If that's you, pray with us. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful evening. Merry Christmas. So we're going to sing.